Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Daniel 2, beginning in verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king and the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying, and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler, that asked such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. As we make our way a little bit further into the prophecy of the book of Daniel, we find that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he is very troubled by this dream and like typical dreams that we have oftentimes uh, you're troubled you may wake up in kind of a dampness uh, because with your heart 
uh, racing, knowing that it was somewhat of a nightmare or at least a startling dream, and then within seconds we can't remember the dream. It is stemming from our subconscious normally. During this dispensation, not only is there our normal subconscious that is dealing with our thoughts and our worries and our concerns and all the things that are packed into our memory bank, but there's also divinity that is speaking through dreams at this time. So he has this dream, and he says that his sleep break from him, so he probably woke up in the middle of the night, and immediately he summons what we know as, as the wise men, or also called the magi. The, the king employs uh, men that are very well exercised in wisdom and in science and in mathematics, but also, disturbingly, they are well exercised in the power of darkness. They have the most heinous degree of Satanism. They're very fluent in witchcraft. We see that the groups that he summons to the throne or to the king's room, in verse 2 it says, The king commanded to call, and he says, The magicians, the astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. When we look at this, we have a tendency to mingle this with our day and age. And when you think of a musician or a magician, you may be thinking of Houdini or somebody on TV or somebody who does card tricks or something of this nature. But this isn't what we're talking about. It's the same thing with the astrologers. We think of astrologers. You see the the weirdos on the road. You know, it says we read tarot cards and uh, you know psychic readings and those kind of uh, fakes and weirdos and and uh, that's just preposterous. This isn't what this is. This isn't. This isn't American-style uh, sorcery. This is genuine sorcery. These are devil worshipers. They are Satanists. They are in the occult. And so what we find, even if you look at the word astrologer, if you were to look that up in the Aramaic, it just brings a different connotation. It's a different definition than what we would be used to. We're used to an astrologer who just is a studier of the stars, and you see it in the newspaper. What, what is my astrology for the day? What does my sign tell me for the day? And, it says, and then usually it says something like, well, smile bright because the stars are shining on you, which uh, is, is hogwash. It's just trying to, to fool you. When you think of the word astrologer and you look it up in the original definition of the Aramaic, it's conjurer. He's a whisperer. He brings frightening sounds of whispering. The root word of it is to blow or to breathe in a frightening way. And we have to remember that as the devil is the counterfeiter, he is doing something that is seemingly mysterious, but he's counterfeiting what Jesus did. Because remember, Jesus, when he gave them the Holy Ghost, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, and he breathed upon them. The same as what God did in the garden when he made Adam through the dust of the ground. He breathed into him the breath of life. And so here what we see is the devil as the counterfeiter is using the astrologer as his tool, and he imitates and mocks him by being a whisperer. He's a study of the stars and all the zodiac and all those things, but he is absolutely full of demonic power. 
the magicians, the astrologers, we have the sorcerers, and then we have, it says, and the Chaldeans. Now normally when you say the word Chaldean in the Bible, you're just talking of a certain ethnicity or a certain a citizen of a certain, of Chaldee, of the Chaldees. But here, by the time Daniel is writing, the, the Chaldeans have so advanced in their sciences and in their arts and in their mathematics that the word Chaldean has become synonymous for just wisdom. They are thought of as the elite intelligentsia, the Chaldean. They know everything. They're the chairman of the board of the intelligentsia of all the highest Ivy League universities who know everything. By this, they guide societies. They are so advanced and elevated that they're actually elevated to the office of priestly. They are so wise that they are thought of as mediators or intercessors to the gods themselves. says that he calls the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to show the king his dream. So they came and they stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was so troubled, I must know the dream. So he brings and consults this panel of experts that are so wise, at least he thinks. And in verse 4, they do what a typical false wise person would do is they try to boast with their pride and they speak then naturally in a secondary language because certainly very wise people would do this. Certainly they would be bilingual. You see this in the older times of our country. Those that were of the wisest religion did their masses in Latin. Nobody could understand Latin, but it sure sounded good. So they speak in the fluent Eastern dialect of Syriac to impress the king. They spake in the Chaldeans' language of, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation. They're just so confident until uh, something goes south, because the king, it says, has forgotten it. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, Well, the thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. How absolutely ferociously wicked this bloodthirsty king Nebuchadnezzar is. Tell me the dream, or I have you cut into little pieces, dismembered and shown on display before the realm. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the tyranny that takes place of the prince and the powers of the air, the principalities of the air that rule the governments of the world that are actually moved and controlled by the devil himself. We have a hard time understanding that because it's we the people, for the people, of the people in order to form a more perfect union. But it's really the difference between us and them is we have the gospel and they don't. So you go to these nations and you, you look at Saddam Hussein, we must invade Iraq because the guy is an absolute tyrant who kills his own people. Or Assad in Assyria now using chemical weapons against his own people. But what we don't realize is that these kind of people without the gospel, there's no way to tame them. 
This is the only way to keep people in line in certain countries. Otherwise, it'll just be chaos. The only way to rule them is with iron fist. So Afghanistan, 13, 14 years we've been there trying to set up some kind of government. You cannot tame the Taliban. They are bloodthirsty, led by Satan himself, just like here. But we are so sheltered in this world because we have had the reign of the just, because we have had gospel preachers and pulpits all over our land. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. But here... We're looking at history that is vastly different. So if you don't show me what I want, I'll just cut you in pieces. Of course, seven, they answered again and said, well, let the king tell his servants the dream. And we'll show you the interpretation thereof. But then look, the king, he answered and said, I know of certainty. So there's some suspicion going on here. Look at verse 8. The king answered and said, I know of a certainty that ye would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. Don't you? Do you? Didn't I just say that? Verse 9. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me. I think it's likely that the king has maybe some faint recollection of the dream. It's gone from me. But do you know how it is when you dream? Yeah, I can't remember the dream. But in some ways, in some senses, there's this cloudy sense. There's a few little faint little hints of the dream in our mind still in our subconscious, still in our psyche. We can't remember what it all is all about, but we have a faint recollection of the dream. And I think the king has this, and he's not telling them because, listen, if he's going to give a death decree out, and I don't know the dream at all, what's a wise man to do? <laughs> well, we'll just make something up. He doesn't know the dream anyway. So let's just make something up. But they're a little smarter than that. I think that they have an inclination too. I, I, I'm not sure if he's telling us the whole truth. He probably does have just a little bit. It's gone from me. But don't you dare make something up. There's one decree for you. Come up with the whole thing or else. He says, I know you're going to come up with lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. And this is normal, though. The king. You have to remember now, Nebuchadnezzar has become, of late, the world power. He is the sole superpower of the world, which means, and we know for sure, that he has just recently run a nasty siege 
unto Jerusalem and then became victorious over them. And so Egypt he has had campaigns with. He has had multiple victorious campaigns with the war. So on his mind, you got to realize there's a post-traumatic stress disorder that we know about now, but they had it back then. And this king has seen a victorious, yes, but he has seen carnage. I mean, absolute carnage. He has ripped people to shreds. He has tortured people to death. He has made people into cannibals. I mean, this is the most ugly scene. This king has of late experienced the most ugliest scenes of mankind. And as normal kings would do, when you become the head man, you have a target on your back. You know in the back of your mind he's becoming paranoid as King Herod did. They said of King Herod in Jesus' day, better to be Herod's pig than his own family. Because of the paranoia of being at the top, perhaps there would be retaliation for the cruelty he has shown. Or just people trying to overtake now the head man. So his subconscious is so worried over these things that naturally he would have terrible dreams. So he's worried that there may be a mutiny in his ranks or some kind of retaliation. Of course, he doesn't understand all of it. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asked such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. It's a rare thing. The king requireth. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. At least not yet. But we know of a time coming, don't we? Where God would become flesh. So they come up with this excuse. True, yes it is. But he says, alright, fine. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon, bring the executioner with his black robe over his head and the axe in hand. The decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Of course, let's, let's kill the Hebrews first, just in case the gods be appeased. And then Daniel, of course, he comes in in 14. Daniel, he, he answers with counsel and wisdom to the Ariac, the captain of the king's guard. He says, in verse 15, he says to Ariac, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? What's, what's the deal here? I mean, give us a few minutes. Give us some time to try to figure out the dream. Why is it so hasty? That's a good question. Why is it so hasty? Why would you want to put all your own people to death? Then you're never going to find out the answer to the dream. Well, because there's a little more going on than what meets the eye. We have to be reminded that this is a prophetical book. So you ask yourself, just like Daniel did, what's going on here? Even before we get into the actual dream itself, or the interpretation of the dream itself, and all the prophecy that goes with it, and we know where it's leading, it's a transfer of dominion. We remember that the fight of the book of Daniel is for world dominion, domination. 
It's a book of prophecy to the beginning. And so what we would do here is we would run an investigation on already things that we know. Because like Daniel, why is it so hasty? We would ask, why is this? And, and what is happening? And you know when you do an investigation of a crime scene, there's so much evidence that's there that they quarantine the whole thing off with, with uh, caution tape. And it's a crime scene. You're not allowed to enter in for the worry of contaminating the things. But there is much to be found of evidence within the scene. And so you've seen it on TV, and I'm sure it's exactly how it is on Law and Order. So what they do is they, they put this powder all over everything, and then they, you know, and then you've got to put this thing, this other solution that shows if there's blood hidden on the carpet, or if it was clean, and there was blood. And then you have the, the awing moment when they shut the lights off, and they turn on the black lights, you know, and then they go around the whole thing, and they look for stuff, you know. And they're, oh, here's, here's fingerprints here. Oh, and here's fingerprints here. Oh, and these aren't even the same fingerprints. So now we're dealing with multiple murderers. And so then you go, there's a blood stain here and there's blood stain. And then you hear the rest of the story. What we have here is a whole pile of evidence that's only seen if you're very fluent in the rest of the entire Bible. To answer the question, what is going on here? Because God is trying to show us things here. This is a book of prophecy for us to learn. And so what we would want to know is we would want to say, okay, well, first of all, the immediate thing that comes to mind, you know, is and he's consulting devils. And he's thought to be wise, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he's, he seems like halfway intelligent gentleman. He's a king. He seems victorious. He must, he's not, can't be. He's consulting devils. And they don't even lie about it. These men look like absolute inmates from Lucasville. They're, they're fully tattooed up all over their face with stars and, and gruesome things. I mean, their skull, everything, their bald head covered in tattoos. I mean, they're just, they got all kind of piercings and things. I mean, these men look like devil worshipers. But then there's also this tiny piece of evidence in chapter 1, verse 2, that seems to be a little bit out of place. We dealt with it a little bit in the first couple sermons. It says, there's the besiege. In verse 2, and it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Nebuchadnezzar becomes the victor. But look what he does. He says, He leaves with part of the vessels of the house of God, so he goes into the temple, and the psalmist tells us that he ravages it with axes. Goes into the house of God and takes the vessels, it says, which he carried into the land of Shinar. That is a very interesting piece of evidence. Because we know what happens, and we know what surrounds Shinar. So he takes these vessels that are of Jewish of Yahweh, and they take these golden cups and certain of the vessels, and they carried it, not to any place in general, but to, and they carried it into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house, again, of his God. Why? Don't you have vessels of your own God? Don't you have tools of your own God? Why, or why do you have to have tools of this God? 
well, we know that most people of the, of the world are pluralistic. They're pagans. Only Israel has one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. So something is happening here. And so what we would do is head over to the beginning. And what we'll do is we're going to find that this prophetical thread that runs through the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. And so turn over to Genesis chapter 11, and we will find the thread here. It's interesting when you deal with prophecy because normally there's some kind of oddness around it. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 10, he's going through the lineage of families. So he's, this person lived this long and he gave birth to this person and this person lived this long and he gave birth to this person and on and on and on and on and it makes good for reading when you have insomnia. And then you have chapter 11 and then, and then after, in verse 10 of chapter 11, it goes back into these are generations of Shem, and it goes on again and again and again. But sandwiched in between here, we have this very unique little story. In Genesis chapter 11, it says, Oh, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. He's not just repeating it. He's saying something. The whole earth at this time was of one language, so everyone could communicate. But it wasn't only of one language. It was also and of one speech. And so what he is telling us is they talked the same way and they thought the same way. They all talked the same. They all have this line of thinking. They're common in mind, all of them, the whole earth. They all talk the same. They have the same language. They all talk with the same kind of speech. And so therefore they have all, in the whole world, at least at this time, they have the same heart. Because we know the Proverbs tell us, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we have here that he's telling us in chapter 11 is there is a unity. And what we are introduced to right here is ecumenism. Ecumenism, or to be ecumenical. They're all in unity. They're all thinking the same thing. And so we find this to be ecumenical. We hear this in some religious circles if you have your ears open, and it is not a good thing to say. Now, lots of people think that it's a good thing to say. Why can't all the religions just get along? Well, because we don't believe the same thing. But why can't we just all get along? Well, because we don't believe the same thing. Well, let's just be ecumenical and then we'll just forget about the things that we disagree on and let's just look at these things that agree. I just sent an email out this past week. I get emails from an ecumenical movement inviting me as the pastor of town and all the other pastors of town and all the churches of towns. Let's get together and have coffee once a month and, and in fellowship. So I emailed him back and I said, you can remove me from the list. I don't fellowship with heretics. I'm trying to win their church to Christ. Youth for Christ. Aren't we for youth for Christ? We are not ecumenical. I will not sit beside a man who teaches heresy and leads his congregation to hell every Sunday. I'd rather sit with the Philistines. What we have here, and look at it, it says they were, you have to notice here, where are they coming from and where are they going? 
The whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. So they're coming from the east. There's another biblical story where men came from the east. The Magi, the wise men in the Christmas story. They traveled afar. They came from the east. And what did they do? They followed the star. They were astrologers. They were wise men. They were the Magi, which is short for magicians. Now we just learned what magicians are. Satan worshipers. Well, you know, well that don't go good in the Christmas cards. It don't look good on the Christmas cards when you send it to somebody and it has the wise men on camels coming and you say, oh, Merry Christmas from devil worshipers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we'll leave that part out. <laughs> but they worshipped God. Didn't they? Didn't they worship at his feet? Yeah. Because they're ecumenical. They worship at everybody's feet, including the devil himself. Bring all these wise men from the east. They followed a star. They worshiped the child. Many gods. They are all inclusive. They are ecumenical. This is ecumenism is why we have Easter egg hunts. What does the what does the Easter egg have to do with the resurrection? Nothing. It has to do with Ishtar, the Babylonian god. But let's be ecumenical and just include it in our party. But notice where they go too. They come from the east. And they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered. Now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to build a superior city. What is Daniel teaching us in his book? The superiority, the dominion of a nation to rule over them. Now, we have a capital city. It's in Jerusalem. We have the city of Zion. This is where that God will rule and reign from. And so the devil as a counterfeiter also has to have a city. So let's do this. Let's put a focal point here within this city, a tower. Now, what he says is about this tower that they're going to build in an ecumenical fashion. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, they're not going to build a tower. They're not stupid. They're not going to build a tower that reaches all the way to heaven. What they're building is a tower that is up into the heavens. It's a massive observation deck. Because what they are, are studying the stars. 
They're astrologers. They're from the East. They are wise men. They are magicians. They are sorcerers. They are the Chaldeans. They are conjurers and whisperers. And so let's build this observation deck high into the sky so that we can gain data of the zodiac. We need to gather astrological data so that we can become more superior in our fortune telling and mind reading and interpretation of dreams so that we can be superior. That's why he says, they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven so that let us make us a name. We want to do flat out magic, lying, signs and wonders like the magicians of Pharaoh. And I think they knew that it was wrong. That's why they said, let's, let's do this so that we can make ourselves a name because I got a suspicion that we're about to be scattered because God doesn't like what we're doing. You know, people know when they're doing it that God don't like it. It's called conviction. I have this conversation with the Minutemen, boys that are eight, after they tell me all the secrets about their parents, which is really cool. But I tell him, I said, all right, now which one of you boys have said bad words? And they're honest, they tell me. And I said, doesn't that seem uncomfortable? Because you don't talk like that, do you? No, we don't. Does, does it roll off your tongue? No. Aren't you uncomfortable saying that stuff? Yes. But you do it anyway. Welcome to adulthood. Let's make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And so then, verse 5, the Lord, you know, he knows. The Lord, he came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Now look what the Lord responds. Behold, the people is one. Even in the phrases that are written here, normally we would say the people are one. But the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Showing the ecumenism of it. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. That says an awful lot, don't you think? Nothing shall be restrained from them which they imagined to do. Their foolish imaginations were darkened. You can hear Paul, can't you, in Romans 2? Because they're powered by the devil. It's not just the flesh and the imagination. They are powered by the devil. So verse 7, Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. You see, why don't we just get together? Well, because the Lord doesn't want us together. It's His world. He can do what He wants to do. Verse 8, So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, or Babel. Now, what they have here is a cultural, political, religious unity. But what we really need 
is cultural, religious, political, and financial. Because the power is in the money. So we go over to Zechariah 5, and we see this happen. Another prophetical book, one that is also, like Daniel, looking to the future. Zechariah 5, we've been here a few times, this is familiar to us. Zechariah chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what it is that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. Now, any Jewish guy at this time knows what an ephah is. This is so common in, you know, throughout the whole Old Testament. The ephah is just a tool for business. It's a commodity. You bartered through corn, wheat, barley, and so you would measure your material, your commodity, by way of an ephah. It's, it's a business tool. Now, he should know what this is. But he doesn't. He says, what is it? And the angel says, well, this is an ephah. But he doesn't know what it is. But notice he says, moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. So what he is showing him is a business tool of a future time that he does not recognize, but it is a global business tool used to measure different commodities. It's some kind of tool that is used for business in an international way. Verse 7, And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, some kind of lid that goes with this. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. Some female representation or some a feminine way, something is represented within this unit of the ephah, as it's called. The prophet responds, he said, this is wickedness. That's it. And you can see, he's, he's, he's gasping. This is wickedness. And he cast it, he throws it into the midst of the ephah, this woman. And, and then he says, he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. He closes the lid. He's floored by it. Verse 9, Then lifted up mine eyes, and looked, and behold, there came out two women. And the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, some kind of huge flying apparatus as of a stork. And he doesn't, see, he doesn't understand exactly what he's seeing, but he's trying to describe it as best as he can. And they lifted up the ephah. Now this is very interesting. They lifted up this unit, the ephah, between the earth and the heaven. Somehow they take it to the air or to the airwaves. Somehow it's between the earth and heaven. And this is an important detail. Now look at 10. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Well, whither do these bear the ephah? Where, where are they taking it? And he said unto me, To build it an house in the land of Shinar. And it shall be established and set there upon her base to the land of Shinar. And where is Shinar? In Babylon. So then we would make our way over to Revelation 17 and see the end of the story. Because Daniel is about to give the interpretation of a dream that the king has. And at the end, we're starting with Babylon. We're going to go through all of history. We're going to end up right back in Babylon. 
And then the King of Kings come. So we have the book of Revelation that is explaining the crushing of all history, putting down the rebellion and gaining dominion. So we have Revelation 17, some of the details. It says, There came one of the seven angels which had seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Throughout the whole Old Testament, that is for idolatry. What they would say is Israel went a-whoring after other gods. It's symbolic of the pain that God endures because His people are cheating on Him with another god. It's referred to as the nation of Israel. They go a-whoring after other gods. And so what they're going to show now is the root and the stem and the full plane of the idolatry of all the world and all the false gods which started in the land of Shinar. The great whore that sits upon many waters. Well, in case we don't recognize it, or who that is, he tells us in flat out, verse 5, upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great. Mystery. Paul talks about the Antichrist in his letter to the Thessalonians, and he says, Oh, by the way, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. This is not a new concept, Paul is saying. And it's well on its way. Mystery, Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now notice that it calls her the mother of harlots because she has given birth then. She's a mother. She has given birth. She has offspring throughout all the centuries and she has sent millions and millions and millions a-whoring after other gods. But there's an appointed time because the dream is sure and the interpretation thereof that Daniel is about to give. Chapter 18, verse 1, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. They receive a devastating blow, but the truth is, is it has always been that but they don't know. It has become the habitation of devils? No, it's started as the habitation of devils. But it's just now being revealed. Why can't we all just get along? For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Cultural, religious, political, and financial. For the root of all evil, the root of all evil is the love of money. 
And then you come back. Remember the like, I think it was the first sermon that, that we went over with, with Jesus about the unjust steward, you know? And, and then he says, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon. What a strange thing. Because Jesus knows that is the opposing God is money. Mammon. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Greed, lust, envy, power. Verse 17. For in one hour, so great riches is come to nothing. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? We've read of the ships of Tarshish, the vast shipping industry that is all over the oceans, sailing constantly. And everyone makes this huge, huge uproar over the Straits of Hormuz, one little centimeter on the planet where ships go through, where all the wars and all Fox News and CNN and everybody's got their focus on the Strait of Hormuz. Why? Because that's where the money goes through. And if you don't think the devil knows that, and the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans, the Persians, Iran, who are the Persians, who are the next after the Babylonians to take power, prophecies just unfold before our eyes. The shipmasters, all of our money. So they cry when they saw the smoke of her burning. What about this great city? They cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. That is because we have chapter 20 of Revelations. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And into the millennium we go. World dominion taken from the devil and given to the king, and not just any king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, verse 3, they cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should do what? Deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. the interpretation of Daniel's dream, the cause of the dream, from Genesis to Revelation. The in-between dash is us. You can choose to sit by and do nothing, or we can put upon us the breastplate of armor and the sword 
and take the hill. We are invited to be his footmen in the war of the ages. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.